Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan. Excuse me. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you, east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until you too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. <clears throat> Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is the word of the Lord. Oh Lord, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you are here guiding us and touching our hearts today. We thank you, Lord, for Robin. We thank you for his love and his commitment for you. We thank you for his love and commitment for us, this community. And Lord, today we ask that you would anoint him to speak your word of truth and life to us through this scripture, Lord, through this passage. What is it you want to say to our hearts today? May we be open and willing servants. May, we, may our answer to you be, yes, Lord, wherever, wherever and whenever we will go. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
So, Abdul Rahman ibn Khaldun was a medieval Arab scholar. I see a few people in the congregation going, yeah, I know who that is. Um, <laughs> Uh, many consider him to be the father of the social sciences. He did a lot of work on the uh, process by which um, empires and kingdoms and communities grow and diminish. Uh, one of his observations about how succession works in communities is relevant to our current reading program. He observed that usually the first generation of leaders forms a community and establishes the values. That would be Moses, uh, whom we've been reading about for the last couple of weeks and who we talked about last Sunday. The second generation then builds on and consolidates what the first generation established. That would be Joshua, who we've been reading about this week and this morning's uh, messages about. Then he says a third generation, quote, forget all the values of their ancestors. And we see that in Judges which will be what our reading will be for this coming week. So true observations about the process in which the, the challenges of maintaining vision and values in the community, challenges of, of succession. And succeeding a leader like Moses was never going to be an easy process, even when you've had years to get used to the idea. So we're going to take a look quickly at how Joshua got to where he is right now. So we first meet Joshua leading the armed men of the community in the battle of the, with the Amalekites in Exodus 17. He's not introduced there, but Numbers 11.28 tells us that Joshua was Moses' assistant from his youth. So we know that probably from his teenage years, he was by Moses' side watching him lead the people. Then in Exodus 24 to 32, we're told that when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law, Joshua went with him. Although only Moses actually met with God, Joshua was there present. In Exodus, Exodus 24, they go up the mountain together, and in Exodus 32, they come back down again together. Then in Exodus 33, verses 7 to 11, we read this. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, of, to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. This isn't the tabernacle. That comes later. This is a simple tent where Moses would go to meet with God, and apparently where people could go to inquire of God, presumably through Moses. Um, it's an important location, and Joshua seems to have acted as a guard during the time that Moses wasn't there. So basically, Joshua was, was Moses' capture. Okay, so once again, he's not directly involved, but he's there while Moses is talking to God, just like on the mountain. In Numbers 13 and 14, Joshua is one of the spies who go into the land to check it out. And he's part of the minority report, along with, with Caleb, who say that they should go on into the land. The, the rest of the spies say no. 
people side with the majority. And God promises that none of that generation will enter the land except Joshua and Caleb. And that promise comes true in chapter 26 of Numbers, when after the census we're told, not one of them was among those counted by Moses and Aaron the priest when they counted the Israelites in the desert of Sinai. For the Lord had told those Israelites they would surely die in the wilderness, and not one of them was left except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Then in Numbers 27, after God tells Moses that he'll die without entering the land, we read this. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eliezer the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority, and so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eliezer the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim, Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will come in. So Joshua is publicly affirmed as Moses' successor. But he won't be speaking face-to-face -face with God. Eliezer, the priest, will inquire of God for him. There's only one Moses. And Scripture goes to great lengths to make that clear, that Joshua is, doesn't have the same authority as Moses did. Joshua will take up the Moses' mantle of leadership for the community, and the priest will take over the task of inquiring of God. And that is reaffirmed in Deuteronomy. So clearly, Moses was intentional in selecting and training Joshua to take over from him in leading the people of Israel. He kept him by his side so he could witness how Moses led. He gave him trusted roles like leading the army against Amalek and spying out the land. And Moses publicly affirmed and commissioned him into his leadership before his death. Still, it wasn't going to be easy. Moses had led the people out of Egypt. Joshua had to lead them into the fulfillment of centuries of promise. No pressure. Right? So you can see why Joshua needed his own personal commissioning from God. Bible doesn't tell us how that commissioning was delivered, whether it was through Eliezer the priest or directly. But in his commission, God says two different kinds of things to Joshua. Half of the commission is functional, and the other half is relational. So we'll look at the functional stuff first. Verse 2. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. And at the end of verse 6, you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. That's pretty straightforward. There's a chunk of land I promised to give to your people from the desert in the south to the mountains of Lebanon in the north, from the Euphrates in the east to the Mediterranean in the west. And you will lead these people into that land. This is Joshua's functional commission. Of course, Israel only actually controlled that territory briefly in the time of David and Solomon, and again in the time of Uzziah and Jeroboam, but that's a whole other issue. But th this is Joshua's task. This is the functional side of his commission. The relational side is a bit more involved. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So there's a promise that he will be able to do all that God calls him to do. No one will stand, be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And the promise that the relationship that God had with Moses will be extended to Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And again, in verse 9, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And there's also something that Joshua has to do to maintain that relationship. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. But mostly, God's word to Joshua keeps coming back to the same thing. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. That phrase appears 11 times in the whole Old Testament. Six of those times it's addressed to Joshua. At the end of Deuteronomy and at the beginning of the book of Joshua. Do you think that maybe Joshua needed to be encouraged to be strong and courageous? I mean, the other times are when Moses says to all of Israel, Joshua says it to Israel, David says it to Solomon twice, and Hezekiah says it to all of Judah. But the majority of the times it's addressed to Joshua. And that's where I want to focus this morning on God's word to Joshua to be strong and courageous. Like I said, Joshua's been training for this since he was a teenager, but it's still a daunting task. He has to lead a group of people that don't have a good record of being easy to lead. They complain a lot. Sometimes they just plain rebel. And he's witnessed how Moses lost his temper with them and then, as a result, didn't get to enter the promised land. There are, there are consequences for failing in leadership. So it's not surprising that he's more than a little intimidated by the task before him. It's an interesting word, intimidate. It literally means to make timid, right? To frighten, to make afraid. I think most of us have had that experience. First day at a new school, we're afraid that the other kids won't like us. First day at a new job, we're afraid that we won't be up to the task. The experience of being a new parent, right? We're afraid that we'll mess up and do something wrong. Then there's learning a new language, a new culture. These are all intimidating experiences. And I think Joshua was intimidated by the task ahead of him. He was afraid. If he wasn't afraid, then God would not have told him to be courageous. Right? Let me unpack that a little. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but for a while, I was doing a fair bit of teaching on the theology of risk. Um, It's okay if you've never heard of that before. It's a relatively new field. There's only a couple of books written on it. 
Um, so I taught that material mainly to people either working in high-risk areas or on their way to high-risk areas. And I taught it in an interactive format. So it was a lot of group involvement. Um, and you can't talk about risk without talking about fear. And almost every time I raised the topic of fear, someone would say, fear is the opposite of faith, which sounds wonderfully spiritual. Plus, it alliterates, but isn't actually true for a couple of reasons. First, we know what the opposite of fear is. What's the opposite of fear? Sorry, sorry. We know what the opposite of faith is. What's the opposite of faith? Unbelief. Thank you. And both faith and unbelief are choices, right? The choice to trust God or not trust him. By the way, doubt isn't the opposite of faith either. The opposite of doubt is certainty. And second, faith and fear are two different things. Faith is a choice, something we, we choose to trust God or we don't. Um, fear is an emotion. Saying fear is the opposite of faith is like saying an airplane is the opposite of an apple. They're different kinds of things, so they can't be opposites. When you're afraid, you don't need more faith. When you're afraid, what you need is courage. And courage isn't the opposite of fear either. Courage and fear coexist together. The more fearful you are, the more courage you need to face up to the fear and do what it is you know you should do. That's why I think Joshua was fearful. Moses, God, and then the whole community tell him six times in all to be strong and courageous, once very courageous. The only time you need to be courageous is when you're afraid, right? You know, if you're sitting at home watching TV and someone walks into the room, I've done this before, and says, be strong and courageous. It's like, why do I need to be courageous? <laughs> the only time you need to be courageous is when you're afraid. Afraid of failing, afraid of being rejected, afraid of what might happen next. And that last one is really relevant to the folks who are living outdoors in the earthquake zone right now. Yeah? They're afraid of what might happen next. They're afraid of aftershocks. They're afraid that things might get worse, not better. And those are all perfectly rational fears. And they need courage to see themselves through to a better place. I was in Istanbul in 1999 when the earthquake struck. I remember the aftershocks and how they would make us all jump. Weeks afterwards, I was in another country far away. Someone sat down on the other end of a couch I was sitting on and I jumped. It takes time to get over it, right? I can't imagine what it's like for those in the earthquake zone. Not just fear of aftershocks, but fear for the future. What will their lives be like now? If they've been evacuated, will they ever be able to return? Like Joshua, they need to be strong and courageous in the face of overwhelming odds. Same can be said of the people of Ukraine who need to be strong and courageous in the face of overwhelming forces. And the same can be said of each one of us at different times of our lives. 
that we need to be strong and courageous in the face of the loss of a loved one, or the news of a devastating diagnosis, or any number of traumatic events. So how do we do that? It's all very well to say, be strong and courageous. But how, do we actually, how exactly do we do that? Well, God didn't just tell Joshua to be strong and courageous. He gave him the resources to be strong and courageous. He gave him his promise, his presence, and his word. So God's promise to, Joseph, to Joshua was in verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. That's a pretty sweeping promise. And it generally turned out to be true except for the city of Ai, and we'll get to that reason for that in a minute. I'm sure that hearing that promise encouraged Joshua. Of course, just like intimidate means to make timid, encourage literally means to make courageous. So that's one source of courage that God provided for Joshua. A second, I think, more powerful source of courage for Joshua was God's presence. Second half of verse 5, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 9, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. On Wednesday evening in the midweek Bible study, we were discussing the episode of the golden calf in the desert. Personally, not everybody, agreed, not everybody agreed with me on this, but personally, I think that part of what led to that sad story was the fact that, was that the people panicked when Moses went up the mountain and disappeared for 40 days and 40 nights. He was their link to God's presence, and they felt the need for some kind of visible, visible representations of God's presence in their midst. Sadly, that actually resulted in, saying, in God saying that he would withdraw his presence. But here, God tells Joshua that he will be with him wherever he goes. He will never leave or forsake him. That's important because after the end of Deuteronomy, there is no more mention of the pillar of cloud and fire that was a divisible sign of God's presence with the people in the desert. Joshua has to trust that God would be true to his word and be with him in whatever he did. A lot like us. I don't know about you, I don't have a pillar of cloud and fire outside my apartment. You know? That doesn't mean God isn't with me. But like Joshua, we have to walk by faith, not by sight. Jesus promises that he will be with us even to the end of the age. As the song says, even when we don't see it or feel it, God is working. God is present with us. And then finally, God gave Joshua his word. Verse 7, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. God tells Joshua to meditate on his word, to chew it over, to think about it on an ongoing basis. Because that will shape him in a way that will lead to his success. Which brings us back to the failure of the city of Ai, right? In that case, the city was able to stand against him. God just promised nobody will be able to stand against you. Clearly, Ai managed to stand against him. Because someone has stolen some of the booty from uh, Jericho. 
Not Joshua, mind you, but somebody. It shows that the promise of God to Joshua that no one would stand against them was conditional, not absolute. And I think you can argue that all of God's promises and prophecies are in some way conditional, but that's another issue. If we want to walk in God's blessings, we need to walk in God's way. That's the way it works. Okay? If we want to walk in God's blessings, we need to walk in God's way. And that way is laid out for us in his word. That's what he tells Joshua. Be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. And God's word to Joshua has a desired effect. Verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take the possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So knowing God's promise, being sure of God's presence, and meditating on God's word resulted in actually what is always the test of faith. Obedience. Joshua did what God told him. Like I said, I think Joshua had a problem with believing he was up to the task of succeeding Moses. Otherwise, why would God and Moses have told him multiple times, be strong and courageous? God's response is to give him three things, a promise, his presence, and his word. I don't think we can claim God's promise to Joshua that nobody will be able to stand against us. I think that's up specifically for him in the context of conquering the land. But we can claim the other two, his presence and his word. Do you feel overwhelmed by what is before you? It could be a ministry hurdle that looks too big to overcome. It could be a personal struggle that threatens to swallow you up. It could be something in your family or your wider, wider circle that has hit you hard and you don't know if you have the strength or the courage to go through it. God says to you, be strong and courageous. And like Joshua, he gives you his presence and his word to strengthen and encourage you in the midst of whatever it is you're facing. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. Whether we're in a worship session and we feel that presence or whether we're in a difficult situation and it feels like you're not there. Lord, we recognize that irrespective of how we feel, your promise is that you will be with us and we trust your promise. Lord, like Joshua, we walk by faith. We trust that when you say you'll be with us to the end of the age, you will be with us every day that we walk through this, through this life. So we thank you, Lord, for that promise. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for your word that teaches us how to walk with you, how to walk in faith, how to walk in obedience. And Lord, we thank you for the, that we can turn to you for encouragement. Whatever it is, Lord, that we're facing, whatever it is that we're facing, Lord, that you are able to give us the courage to face it and to go through it, Lord. And Lord, we pray that. We pray that for our brothers and sisters 
in the East who have lost homes and family members. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are serving in the East. And Lord, we just pray for every last person who has suffered loss through this earthquake. Whether they acknowledge you or not, Lord, we pray that you would give them courage to go through this horrible ordeal. Courage, Lord, that they will need to rebuild their lives. Courage that they will need to continue just to, yeah. We pray that, Lord, as, as your people interact with them, Lord, you would give them hope. And hope would engender courage. Lord Jesus, um, we thank you for the opportunity that we have in some small way to help. And Lord, I pray that we would not weary in well-doing. As this, I guess the um, estimate is this is going to go on for a long time, the response, helping people who have been dislocated by the disaster. Help us, Lord, to each one of us find our niche in that response, whatever it is that looks like. And Lord, we want to continue to pray in the midst of this for uh, Ukraine, particularly for the Ukrainian orphans who are still here, who, are, who still need support, who still need care. Lord, there is so much need around us. Once again, Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to know what it is you're calling us to do individually, as you called Joshua to do a task. And you gave him the courage to do that. Lord, help us know what our task is individually in the midst of so much going on. And Lord, while we're talking about disasters, we pray for the nation of New Zealand and the cyclone that struck and uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, Rosie's family are okay. Um, but it's a huge disaster for them. And we pray that they'll be able to um, rebuild their lives as well. Places that have been cut off with no communication, flooding, all kinds of stuff. Um, Lord, so we, yeah. As we sang in the song, the world is broken. And Lord, you have entrusted to your people the task of binding it up. So Lord, we ask for grace for that. In your name, amen.